I'm reading two verses. We're still right here in Lamentations. Verse 8 and 9. Jeremiah writes, Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. All over, uh, all who once honored her now despise her. For they have been, for she, for they have seen her stripped naked and humiliated. All she can do is groan and hide her face. She defiled herself with immorality and gave no thought to her future. Now she lies in the gutter with no one to lift her out. Lord, see my misery, she cries. The enemy has triumphed. Shall amen? Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Lord, work a miracle as we work through this together in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the third week of our series uh, that we are titled next week. What's next? It is about transitions. And the big idea is simple. As long as you are alive, you're going to be going through one transition or another. And so to figure out how to navigate those transitions is critical to your personal growth uh, and your faith. Over the course of the last two weeks, we've shared that every transition has the same anatomy. Essentially three parts to every transition. There is an ending, which means that there is a death or a loss or a moment to say goodbye. We spent two weeks talking about how to say goodbye better. This week, we want to talk about the second part of that shows up in every transition. I call it a middle passage. Everybody shout, a middle passage. It's the place where we find some confusion, uh, a shift in identity that leads to a sense of emptiness, and, uh, and we're adding here an additional notion of high anxiety and even shame. Now, to some degree, uh, this notion of the middle passage, which we'll spend the next two weeks talking about, uh, is mirrored in the transition that we're going through right here. Because if you're slipping into the middle passage after divorce or death of a loved one, or you've shifted a job and changed communities, uh, major transitions, having to say goodbye to something or someplace means that there is a part of who you are is beginning to fade, to disappear. And there's a, another part of who you are that is kind of still there. And so it's, it's this nebulous place of kind of confusion, trying to figure out exactly who am I becoming in this new context. Now you kind of see that reflected in this, this facility. <clears throat> Uh, for example, today we, we no longer have the pipe and drape that covers the back. Uh, it's gone. It's kind of just, it's, it's disappeared. We usually have a big band and our own PA system. Uh, we don't, we didn't have that today. We only had two acoustic guitars and we used a house system. But by the way, wasn't that worship just beautiful? Wasn't it just, uh, un, we call it unplugged. I think we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see more of that as well as we move forward. But but today, in our normal context, that was different, right? Uh, the, the, what the familiar is fading away. Uh, for those of us who are young people, we have middle schoolers here who 
user in CYM programming, but that's not here today. And so we welcome our young people into this, uh, into this gathering. So there's some feeling of, wow, this is kind of not exactly in the, in the pockets in front of you, pew pockets, no envelopes, go outside, no tent that we usually gather under to, to get the donuts. However, everybody shout donuts. <coughs> we had to have the donuts. Now, we had to hold on to the donuts. So I promise you the donuts are there, but <coughs> they're under a shade in a in large, I'm told, you know, boxes. Uh, and so you kind of have to self-serve a little bit, but that's all right. If you like me, I don't care how I get it. I just want my donuts, all right? <laughs> so, so, so there is some drifting, some parts that are missing, <clears throat> while there are some parts that we are familiar with. It's this notion of the nebulous uh, in-between place that we find ourselves in. And so that's this sense of middle passage. Now, as we think together about this text in Lamentation, it's helpful to remember that Jeremiah, who's the writer of this text, as I told you, he wrote the book of Jeremiah to the folk who left Jerusalem and was exiled in Babylon, and those who remained in the broken city of Jerusalem, Lamentation is written to them. Uh, He reminds us that worship in a big way, has at least two functions. One, it's obviously how we celebrate God as we did earlier. But two, worship is also a gift to us from God to help us in our times of transitions. Now, I saw a little picture of this earlier this week in my own house. I have here Cameron, who is my goddaughter. And uh, stand up, Cameron, so they can see you, sweetheart. All right, that's right. Thank you. All right, all right, you sit down, sweetheart. <clears throat> she's from Boston, and uh, she's been our goddaughter since before, you know, when she showed up. <laughs> and she's hanging out with us, going to camp with Lauren, etc. And I have purchased uh, an Echo which is one of these small little boxes that you talk to and it talks back to you. And in my house, I'm the only one who loves the Echo. The Echo, uh, the name is Alexa, right? Nobody else likes Alexa but me. So I went away on a trip recently and I came back. I was talking to Alexa and Alexa didn't say nothing back. And come to find out, I think Lauren has something to do with this. <laughs> Alexa was unplugged. So I dressed Cameron. I said, come on, Cameron, we got to get this. So I, I crawl under the table. Cameron crawls under the, the, the uh, piano stool. And she's trying to help me find the cord and get plugged up. And then the next thing I hear, boom. Cameron is coming out and... I look and there's no noticeable difference. And then the next second, Cameron disappears. She's in the kitchen next door. And I hear Rhonda go, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And the next thing I hear is this cry. And I go into the kitchen and Cameron is in Rhonda's arms. And Rhonda's holding her and Cameron is is crying. And Rhonda was saying, it's going to be all right, Cameron. It's going to be all right. 
And as I saw that picture, I said, that's exactly the picture that Jeremiah wants us to see with lamentation. And what we mean when we say lamenting is a part of worship. What Jeremiah is trying to show us and teach us in this book of lamentation is that every now and then, we're going to try to get up and we're going to get hurt. And, uh, and, 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 you know, oftentimes we'll try to pretend like it doesn't hurt. We'll try to shake it off. But sooner or later, that pain catches up with us in our transitions. Say amen, somebody. Come on. And when it catches up with us, what Jeremiah is saying is that the God that you and I serve is the kind of God that we can just fall into his arms and we can just tell him how we feel. Come on now. When Cameron was crying, what she was essentially saying was, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. And probably what she was thinking was, and how unfair it is. I was trying to help Uncle Herman and I ended up like this. And the God that you and I serve says, when you are hurting, just fall into his arms and he and tell him, I'm hurting, I'm hurting and life is unfair. And he'll be able to tell you it's going to be all right by and by. That's lament. That's lamenting. It's the ability to say to God, I'm hurting. To cry out to God. Say, I don't really know I'm in this transition. I don't really know who I'm becoming. I'm hurting. So, as we look at this picture that Jeremiah is painting, what you'll find in this chapter is really two voices. Everybody shout two voices. It's interesting how he writes this and throughout the book. First, there's the voice of the narrator. He's simply telling the story of what happened, how, 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 how the nation of Israel was powerful and prestigious and wealthy one day. And the next day, it is now uh, subjected to the authority of a foreign power. That's not unusual to us. It's almost like somebody, many of us know transition of one day we're healthy. And then we go to the doctor and there's a diagnosis. And a couple of weeks later, the one who was so healthy, we're now struggling with our health. That's what he's kind of describing as he's talking about. The narrator talks about this. Uh, He talks about how the, 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 the city was beautiful one day, and the next day it was, it was ravished. It lost its beauty. It's, 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 for some of us, it, it feels like, you know, when, that, when, we, when we are, are young and, and thin, we, 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 we have folks celebrating this thing that we call beauty. And then as we age and kind of broaden a little bit, it feels to us like our luster has gone. Somebody say Amen. Feels to us like our luster has gone. The temple that represented the faith of the people and God's faithfulness was desecrated, demolished. And the walls that secured the city was broken down. And the narrator narrates this. Right? You find him like in verse when he's just narrating it. Impersonal, just telling the story. But then there's another voice in the text. It is the suffering that happens in Jerusalem being personified in the voice of a female. And I think the first thing that Jeremiah wants to call to our attention is that when we're in transition, 
One of the things that's a reality of our transition is vulnerability. Everybody shout vulnerability. vulnerability. We don't always feel like we can protect ourselves against what's coming. But in this female voice, you'll find that this, this, this female is really sharing her suffering. I think Jeremiah chooses this because in that culture, no one knew the pain and degradation of suffering and being humiliated and mistreated and taken advantage of like women. So we hear that voice. Throw it up, chapter 1, verse 1. And, and, and that voice takes us through the different roles that women plays. For example, in verse 1, we read uh, that, that she who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. So depicted as a widow, one of the worst kinds of transitions that could happen in that culture. Verse 2, notice verse 2, how it's depicted. Uh, that, that she sobs through the night, tears streams down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is not one left to comfort her. She, she's, she's depicted as a woman who once had many lovers, but now fully abandoned. And then in verse Five, there is a depiction of the mother that shows up in the text. Her oppressors have become her masters. Her enemies prosper for the Lord has punished Jerusalem for their many sins. Here it is. Her children, shout children, children. have been captured and taken away in a distant land. You find this voice being personified. But then in verse eight, something sneaks into the text that I find both shocking and descriptive. Watch verse 8. As, as it says, Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. It's kind of reflective of a woman's sanitary napkin. All who once honored her now despise her. In this we find the language of shame. Everybody shout shame. Once honored, now despised, for they have seen her, here's this shame language again, stripped naked and humiliated. In that culture, that was the worst way to be shamed. And all she can do is groan, and one of the great things that happens when we are ashamed, hide her face. Everybody shout shame. shame. Why would I point this out? This is a powerful part of the text. When we talk about transitions. It is because in many major transitions, shame is an unspoken reality. Let me give you an example. Uh, I told you last week about my granduncle and how in the latter years of his Alzheimer's, I'd wanted to keep him. And because uh, I was unable to do that safely and to well care for him, I had to ultimately put him in a facility. Now here's my definition of shame. This is, a, I think it's a substantive definition of shame. Shame is, occurs, when we are unable to do what we 
are others who we value think we should be able to do. Say it with me. Say, shame occurs when I am unable to do what I or others think I should be able to do. Now, put a pin here. One of the reasons why I call this, this ambiguous place a middle passage is that I'm just kind of drawing a little bit on my African-American history and I'm reminding and thinking about how in the early 1400s, 1500s during the transatlantic slave trade, there was this triangle in the trade that the Europeans left Europe and went to West Africa and they packed boatloads of slaves and they took those slaves sometimes seven, eight months journey to the Americas and then they traded them and then they went back to Europe. And this is notion of the triangle. The part that carries the slaves is called the Middle Passage. And here's what most people don't know. That many of those slaves were kings and queens. They were from noble families. They were people of great wealth and great prosperity. Uh, they had great name and great legacy. And yet through tribal warfare, they had been captured. And here they are now packed on this ship having not been able to protect themselves or to preserve themselves. And here they are in the worst of conditions and, and, and the shattering of their identity is taking place because as they own that ship, uh, uh, not only are they no longer treated with that nobility, but they find themselves having been unable to do what they thought they should be able to do. Somebody say shame. 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 Uh, when I looked at the fact of what went down with my dad, I had to acknowledge as a, as a man and as a preacher that there was a lot of shame inside of that. Here's why. Two reasons. The first was I had said since a teenager that if my grand aunt uncle who raised me ever reached the point that they couldn't care for themselves, I would do it. It would be the ultimate way that I would express my gratitude and love for them. And when it came down to it, I was unable to do what I thought I should have been able to do. See, the shame comes in at, at the fact that I thought I should have been able to do it. And then it gets a little deeper than that. I, I remember my grand aunt, when I was growing up, she would tell the stories fondly how when her mother had a stroke, she moved her mother into our house. And her mother remained there under my grand aunt's care until the day that my, my, uh, uh, her mother died. And my grand aunt told that story with such love and such tenderness, how honored she was to care for her grandma. Let me just throw this in here just for a minute. Some of us, as we deal with aging, we, we reach the point where we really need to allow our adult children to step in and care for us. But because we feel like we should be able to take care of ourselves and not have the kids that we raise take care of us, we feel shame. You see? 
But I just want to say to you, part of transitioning in life is to allow the children that you raise to bestow upon you the honor of allowing them to care for you, whether that is, in my case, I had to use a facility to help, or whether that's in their home. Allow your kids the honor of being the kids, the adults that you raise them to be. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So my grand aunt talked with great affection. And I remembered that. And then when I was around, I had an uncle to move into the house who was terribly sick. And we took care of him until he died. And so while nobody ever said to me, Herman, you should be able to take care of your, your daddy. Nobody ever put that on me. But I, I, I felt like it was a family edict. That that's what happens in this family. That we move people in and we care for them. And because I couldn't do what I thought that I should be able to do, I felt shame. Now, why do you raise this? Well, number one, it's in the text. And number two, Brene Brown points out three things we need to know. One, all of us, at some point or another, deal with shame. Tell the person next to you, he's talking about me. Tell him. Men and women, children of middle school and high schoolers, especially around how we look and what we can do, what we can't do, uh, uh, how other people perceive us, we all deal with this notion of shame. Number two, she points out that most of us don't like talking about it. Tell the person next to you, he's definitely talking about me. <laughs> we keep it a secret. We bury it. We hide it. And then she points to number three. Because we don't talk about it, it imposes a destructive power over our lives. So this is what's so fascinating about Jeremiah. He's carving out a liturgy that he's going to invite the entire nation of Israel to participate in. And rather than covering up the shame, he is using this liturgy to expose the shame. And in the same way that Cameron ran to Rhonda, he's saying to us, don't cover up your shame, uh, sir and missus. Come on, expose it and run to God and tell him, here's what's going on in my life. And if you can start doing it with God, you can start doing it with others. You can start breaking the power of shame. Now, let me go to verse 9. This is a unique insight. This, 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 Jeremiah is dealing with this notion of shame. But watch what happens in this verse 9. Because something else pops up in the coexisting. It's really guilt and shame in this next verse coexists. Watch it. Here's how it starts off. It says, she defiled herself with immorality and gave no thought to her future. Everybody shout guilt. guilt. Here's what Jeremiah is saying. Listen, Israel. This part you got on. Part of what went down was long before there was a Burger King. 
you used the Burger King slogan. You said to God, we want to have it our way. So you stop supporting and caring for and following the laws that God has laid out for you. And you rejected God's authority over your life. And so God stepped back and let you have it your way. And so out of that came this sense of calamity. Everybody shout guilt. Guilt, guilt, he says, so, 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 you know, guilt is healthy. Guilt, guilt, guilt is that place that we, 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 we recognize that we have done something wrong. We own it and we change. Jeremiah said, own your stuff. Right. Now, here's the difference between guilt and shame. Because while you should own guilt, you need to kick shame out your life. All right. Guilt says, you've heard me say this before, uh, I've made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Guilt says, uh, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. You see the difference. Right? Guilt, uh, uh, Paul tells us, God uses that, sor that godly sorrow to drive us to change. But shame, it has a way of binding us. So in this text, go back to the text. Come on, back, back to the text that we were. So it talks about the memorality. That's the first couple of verses. That's guilt. But watch the next two verses. Now she lies in the gutter with no one to lift her out. And what he's saying is that what started off as kind of an adulterous thing ended up with this woman unjustly and undeservingly being violated and abused. And anyone who's been victimized in any kind of way, you have this sense of shame. Here's how we know we have shame. Listen. It's how we talk to ourselves. We say stuff like, you idiot, what was you thinking? You're so stupid, why did you uh, apply for that job? You know that you're not the kind of material to get that kind of job. That's a white collar job, you're a blue collar job. What were you thinking? You dummy, why did you ask her out for a date? You know you're not her type. You can, you can never be with somebody like that. You, what were you thinking to think that you could get an algebra class? You know that you're lousy in math and you don't have the ability to learn math. Well, what, 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 what was you thinking? You, you, you're broke. Just, 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 just acknowledge the fact that you just broke. You're weak. You're sad. That's how we talk to ourselves. Tell the person next to you, he's talking about me. I don't want to admit it, but he's talking about me. <laughs> it's one thing to acknowledge I've done something wrong. It's another thing to say, you know, I'm just busted and broke. There's no help for me. It's one thing to acknowledge, man, I'm trying to do the best I can with my dad, trying to get him transitioned, uh, 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 you know, and there are limitations. I can only just do this good and this this well and I really wish I could do better it's another thing to say you know what I'm just a lousy son because I wasn't able to do how many of you are bound by shame what the 
problem with many of us is that we have legitimately done some wrong things. But inside of those wrong things, come on now, some other stuff has happened to us. And we confuse guilt with shame. And what this text suggests is that we've got to be able to tease them apart. Own what's ours. Kick shame out the door. Final story. We were, I was talking with uh, my wife and I went out to dinner with some folk who are partners here. And one of our amazing partners, she told what I found was a remarkable story. She said that her first husband essentially left her twice. The first time she really didn't know it because he'd gotten into a relationship with some young girl and for three years he'd been cheating on her. She knew there was some stuff that was different. But she wasn't quite sure. It's kind of like the fading of the familiar in this place. And yet enough familiarity for me to stay in and keep believing that there's something about this that's true and lasting. That's where she was. Until one day he came home and said, I've had enough and exited. And then she was shattered as you would expect. This is a transition she's kicked into. She said that the day took her several years. But finally the day came when she knew she was healed. Watch this. And she said she knew she was healed because on that day she looked in the mirror and for the first time in two years she didn't just see her body, she saw her own face. What do you mean? What she said was for the last two years whenever she would look into a mirror, she, she never saw her face. What she was saying, my translation, is the shame that came out of, and so many of us are dealing with this when somebody dogs us out. We conclude if we were better, if we were prettier, if we were smarter, if we were stronger, come on, she would or he would not have done that. And so that's shame talking, come on. And so the shame that, that has showed up in her life made it impossible for her to see herself, the beauty of who she is, the potential of who she is, until God was able to heal her heart. And what I'm saying to some of you today is that God, the the shame that's in your life as teenagers, some of y'all dealing with that even now, the shame that's in your life, because sometimes we grow up in shaming cultures, cultures that tell us we're bad, trying to help us to be better. Sometimes it's a church that tells us we're no good, hoping that we will become something good. Sometimes it's a parent that says you're going to be just like your no good daddy. Come on now, hoping that that's going to change you. But that's shaming, y'all. So, so how many of us don't really see who we are? Because of the shame in my life. How many of you don't see how beautiful you are? Don't see how brilliant you are? How many of you are sitting on your hands and refuse to step forward with dreams and visions and industry because you have shame that's blocking out the beauty that's in your life? 
God has brought you here together today by video to say it's time to kick shame out of your life. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, tell the person next to you there's some good news. Come on, tell the other person there's some good news. Come on, come on, come on. Here, here, here's how you start kicking shame out of your life. Number one, you've got to acknowledge it uh, because as long as you keep it secret, it exercises power on you. But if you can acknowledge, I hear the voices, but, but I'm going to ignore them. Come on now. If you can acknowledge there's shame in my life, but there's more to me, and then, and then take that to God the same way Cameron took her pain to Rhonda. All right, let's see what the text says about it. Uh, the text got some great stuff to say about it. Look, let's, let's listen to that uh, because, because Jeremiah goes with the, on with the lamenting, but, but, but the psalmist picks up here. And the psalmist 34, verse 4 and 5, look, look what he says if you just take it to God. He says, I prayed to the Lord and he what? Answered me and he freed me from all my what? Fears of being found out, fears of being exposed, fears that I'll never be good enough. He freed me from all my fears. Watch the next verse, what it says. And then it says, those who look to God for help will be radiant with joy and no shadow, shout no shadow. No shadow of shame will darken your faces anymore. Tell somebody, take it to God. Let's hear what Jesus says about it. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus understands our same challenges. And so he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened. Come on now. Notice plural, burdens. And among the burden is the shame that we carry. And he says, if you bring it to me, like Cameron went to Rhonda, I will give you what? Rest. Jesus said, I can deliver you from your shame complex. Not only does he says it, he shows us how to do it. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And in Hebrews chapter, you know how that starts off. Now that we have such a great cloud of witnesses that surround us, we should lay aside every weight and sin that so easily trip us up. Come on now. Shame is a weight that trips us up. And then he says, so that you can figure out how this is done. It says, he says, uh, we do this by keeping our eyes on who? The champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the pain of the cross. Watch this. Disregarding. Shout disregarding. Disregarding is shame. Come on now. All right, let me explain what that means, and we're finished. Pastor Tilden told us months ago that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he most likely was naked. And I told you, as Jeremiah was referring to it in the text, I told you that at the end of the day, nakedness was the highest form of shame. And so when Jesus was dying on the cross, he, he slipped into the shame because listen here's what first corinthians 7 here's what first corinthians 5 says that 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 he who was rich became poor for us and he who knew no sin jesus became sin for us that through him we might become the righteousness of god come on now i'm gonna shout righteousness come on shout honored 
That's another word to think about righteousness. In race, right relationship and honored by God. And so what it says is that when Jesus took upon the sins of the world, he took your sin and my sin upon. And with that, he took upon him all of the shame that exists for you and for me. He took it upon himself. But he didn't just stay stuck there. He didn't just stop there. He didn't even just stay dead there. Come on now. He said ultimately he died and got up from the dead. And in that moment he disregards the shame. He ignores the shame. He sidesteps the shame. He says shame you have no power here. And he takes his seat on the right hand of God the Father. Come on now. Here is the teaching of the text. There comes a time in your life when you need to claim what's your responsibility, but then turn to shame and say, I hear the voices, but I'm going to disregard you. I hear what you're saying, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm going to sidestep what shame is telling me, and I'm going to assume the place that God has given me. I am all that I can, I, I can be all things. Tell the person next to you, you are more than your mistakes. Tell the other person to you, God has honor, not shame for you. Let me prove it. Here's the last verse I want to use. Psalms 91. I love this. This is what it says. He's talking about us. He says, the day will come when he, meaning us, he will call on me. God is speaking. And I will answer him. And I will be with him in his troubles. The way Rhonda was with Lauren, Cameron, the pain was still there but Rhonda was there God said I'll be there in the trouble and then he says watch this I will deliver him shall deliver alright there's a connection here watch this and shout and that's a conjunction here and shout and and honor him and one of the ways he wants to deliver you and I today is to say, bring me your shame and I'll give you my honor. Give God a hand, praise. I want you to take a connection card. In a few moments, we're going to pray together. But I want you to take your connection card Figure out what's my next step. I've heard, you know, you've, it's not an accident that you're here. Is the next step for you to say yes to Jesus or get more information or be baptized? Look at those next steps. Just trust that God put you here today. They're not just here, but to do something. Then I want you to look at the response to the message. It's going to be, a, this will be a difficult challenge. But I'm praying that every one of you will take it up. Here's what I hope that you will write under the response to the message. I will identify this week, this week. I will identify my shame. 
and release it to God. A lot of us, that's hard, but I want to challenge you. I want you to start practicing what God is calling you into. But figure out, where's your shame? Where is it? Write it out. And it's not just giving it to him once. To release it means you may have to repeatedly do it. Until one day it's gone. Take a second. Think about writing that. Take a second. Think about making that commitment. Would you? Take a second. Now I want you to, when we leave, I want you to turn these cards in as your commitment. This is the last worship. Listen to me. Last worship we're having in this place. Wouldn't it be marvelous if as you turn that card in, you could leave your shame in this place and show up next weekend in Redwood City knowing that you are honored and loved by God. Everybody standing. Everybody standing. Everybody standing. Here's what I want you to do as we get ready to pray for everybody who's in transition. Are you changing schools? You're getting a new job, you're struggling with your health, trying to figure out what to do with an aging parent. Maybe you're aging. Is there a divorce that you're working through? I don't know. But I want you to just take a second or two and just figure out what's the transition I'm dealing with now. Or what's the transition I'm about to deal with in a few weeks, a few months. Get it at the forefront of your mind because we're going to pray for you. All right? If you got it, say amen. amen. All right, join hands with somebody. Everybody just join hands. We're going to pray together. Now, I want you to remember this formula. This is how lamenting works. You start with a lament. That's God, I'm hurting. You move to a petition. God, here's what I need from you. And you end with praise. God, I celebrate the fact that you are who you say you are. Lord, we love you. And right now we're confessing that we're in various transitions or we're about to be in them. Some of us just getting out of jail. Some of us have just moved to a new area. Some of us have had a breakup after a long relationship with a good friend or a lover. Some of us are in recovery. We're in our second or third month, but we haven't told anybody because we sh- we got shame around. Lord, we just want to confess right now that whatever the transition, there's some hurting going on here. We've bumped our heads. There's some pain. We're, we, we are hurting. We feel powerless. We feel like we can't get it done. We feel like we can't fix it. We feel about bad about the situation and we're feeling bad about ourselves. And God, we, we, we want to confess that there's a part of us that feel like it's just so unfair. It's just so not right. We, we've done the best we've known how to do. We, we've tried to be as faithful as we know how and, we, and it's still, life is just still messing up on us. We just want to just be honest about that. We just want to declare, God, we're hurting right now. We just... We want to be honest about it. And Lord, our petition is 
would you show up in the midst of our trouble? Because like, like Cameron did with Rhonda, we're running to you right now in this prayer. We're holding hands as a community and we're leaning on one another's strength, but we're running to you and we're asking you to show up in our trouble in a way that we can see it and recognize you and know that you are there. Would you do that, oh God? As we get ready to leave this place, Lord, help us to bump into you and remind us, oh God, that, 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 that we are not alone. And that we can give you our all, including all our shame. That's what we want to do, Father, is give you our all. So now, God, we want to say thank you. Everybody shout thank you. Thank you. Lord, we want to praise you. Everybody say praise you, Lord. Praise Come on, everybody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. God, we want to thank you that you love us and that you are for us and not against us. Lord, we want to thank you that not only are you with us, but you are ahead of us, making provisions for everywhere we go. Lord, we want to thank you that if we give you our shame, you'll give us your honor. Lord, we want to thank you that we are loved by you, embraced by you, honored by you. Thank you for pouring your life out on the cross because you loved us that much. Thank you for conquering death. Thank you for saving our souls. So God, we look to you to take us through this middle passage. In Jesus' name, shout amen. amen. Shout amen. And amen. Celebrate, celebrate. Hallelujah. Somebody say glory. Glory.